John chapter 5. Yeshua heals a lame man on the Sabbath. I'm going to start off by reading the entire portion that we're going to consider this morning and then go back and discuss it verse by verse. Afterward, Yeshua returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Yeshua saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Yeshua told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law does not allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Yeshua had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Yeshua found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Yeshua who had healed him. So the leaders began harassing Yeshua, persecuting Yeshua for breaking the Sabbath rules. Back to verse 1, afterward... Afterward being, after being north in Galilee, Yeshua returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, which means either House of Olives, like Beit Zait, or House of Mercy, Beit Chesed, with five covered porches, porticos, porches. Rabbi Glenn, tell us a little bit about these five porches that John told us about. Well, there's something really interesting about this mention of five porticos. Um, many decades ago, liberal theologians and unbelievers argued that John could not, the actual apostle could not have written this gospel because at least at that point, back in the 1800s, early 1900s, uh, everybody knew that every pool in Jerusalem had four porticos. 
Everyone. So they argue that obviously somebody who wasn't John, who did not live at that time, who obviously had no knowledge of first century Jerusalem must have written John because after all, everybody knows there's only four porches uh, in every pool. So what happened? In 1956, they discovered and excavated the pool of Bethesda. And wouldn't you know it, there was a fifth portico there. So once again, the Bible shows itself to be reliable, and once again, liberal theologians are embarrassed. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Long time. John has given us the information we need to understand what is about to happen. Now, Rabbi Jerry, why were sick and disabled people waiting near the pool? Well, they believed, and it seemed quite possible, that they would be healed through this water when it was stirred up. There is some um, historical records relating to uh, the pool having this sort of power. And so these people would wait there hoping to be healed. And most likely as well, people were drawn to this pool and would give donations to the people waiting around it as well. Rabbi Glenn, what does this pool that um, God used to miraculously heal people, especially uh, the first to enter, what does this pool in Jerusalem tell us about God's relationship to the Jewish people? Well, it shows us that he still cared for his people and that he had compassion for his people and uh, that he offered healing, but he also shows himself to be sovereign. Not everybody there got healed. Uh, there's no way to just say, well, I did, I did what I did, and therefore he has to heal me. He shows himself sovereign, but he also, again, shows himself to be kind and merciful. I don't think there was another pool in the world in any other nation that had... Uh, supernatural healing like this. So this shows God's special relationship to his covenant people. This man was sick, unable to walk for 38 years. 38 years. Rabbi Glenn, thoughts? Well, he either was, I mean, we don't know for sure, but Perhaps he was born with the inability to walk, or perhaps as a child he had some kind of accident that left him crippled. Whatever it was, 38 years is more than half our lifetimes, you and me, Rabbi. It's more than Jerry's years altogether. <laughs> 38 years. How did? And it makes me wonder, how did he get along? How did he, how could he make a living? How, how could he eat? How could he take care of himself, or did he rely on other people? But it really raises a lot of questions. That is a very long time. And you would think in 38 years, sooner or later, he could get into that pool. Maybe getting into the pool wasn't the real issue. We'll talk more about that. But it's a long time, and it really does raise some serious questions. 
Uh, people will work a job, have a career, they'll retire after 20 years, 30 years, right? That's like a whole working life, 30 years. This man had been sick and disabled 38 years. Verse 6, when Yeshua saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Interesting question. Would you like to get well? Notice that Yeshua took the initiative to make this encounter happen. Rabbi Jerry, why? What does this tell us about Yeshua? Well, it tells us that he's very intentional. A lot of times, especially in the Gospels, we see mostly it's people coming up to Yeshua, uh, interacting with him first and then him responding in some way. But there are unique times in the Gospels where we see Messiah Yeshua take that first step of interaction. I think of, in some ways, maybe the Samaritan woman as well, asking for water to interact with her. But this, but even more than that, where, you know, it was just them at this one place, there's many people around this gentleman. We're told that this is where people would go for healing. Um, for some reason, and we're going to see probably why here soon as we go through his life, Yeshua knew what was going on in this man's life. He knew the reason for his infirmity, you know, why he was disabled. And he intentionally wanted to have this encounter, this transformative experience for him if he would be willing to receive it. So he seeks him out. And this tells us about God, that God does also seek us out. Um, many people's testimonies, I think, uh, include a story to some variation of, I was things were going very well in my life, and then they went very badly. And at the very rock bottom of things going badly, they had some sort of encounter with God, whether it was directly or through other people, witnessing to them. It isn't when they were at the top of everything, usually, when God reaches out to you, because we're unwilling to listen. It's when we have lost all hope and there's nothing else left. Then finally, we're willing to turn towards God. And we see a picture of that here with this man, I think, as well. I like that. Robert Glenn, anything to add? Well, just that this is the second of what will be seven sign miracles that Yeshua performed. Of course, he performed much more than that, but seven that John framed his gospel around. This one takes place in Jerusalem. So a lot of them took place in the Galilee. So it will be interesting as we make our way through John to just take note of some of the geography. Rabbi Glenn, why did Yeshua ask this man who had been sick for 38 years if he wanted to get well? Doesn't everyone want to get well? Oh boy. <laughs> Yeshua did not Yeshua was not somebody to ask needless or superfluous questions. That we understand. When he asks a question there's a reason for it. So when he asks what appears to be a ridiculously obvious question, do you want to get well? There's a reason for it. Maybe he did and maybe he didn't. Um I'm old enough to remember the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, actually the original one, Willy Wonka, and his, his uh, grandparents lay in the bed all day, every day, food is brought to them, everybody helps them, and it isn't until there's a golden ticket that he uh, decides to get out of the bed. Look, some people become very comfortable 
in the midst of their infirmity. Some people become would rather have misery if at least it's familiar than risk the unknown. There's a number of potential reasons, and frankly, we don't know exactly what's going on in this guy's heart. We do know that Yeshua asked questions for a reason, and he asked what appears to be a ridiculous question, and it wasn't, because maybe he did, and maybe he didn't. This is an interesting individual. As this story plays out, we're going to see, I think it's going to line up with my contention that this guy didn't want to get well, and probably didn't appreciate being made well, because now he's going to be responsible for himself. Verse 7, I can't, sir, the the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So I guess first one in, got healed, maybe not the second one or third one. Yeshua told him, stand up. Pick up your mat, walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. God, the Father, is able to work through Yeshua, the Son, in a much greater way than he worked through that pool. When Yeshua's around, you don't need any pool, you don't need any stirring of the water, any bubbling of the water, is anyone helping you into the water? Just a word from Messiah, Yeshua, and the man was instantly restored to full health. Can I hear a hallelujah or baruch Hashem or something? He didn't even have to lay hands on him. Spoke a word. In what way, ways are we like this disabled man? What does this teach us about humanity? And what does this teach us about Messiah Yeshua? Rabbi Jerry, let's start with you. Well, in many ways, we also have issues, infirmaries. You know, we have, we might be able to walk physically. But there is this idea here, this idea of walking in Scripture, right? Especially in the Hebrew. The idea of walking has to do more going on than just walking down a road. The idea of walking with God. Living. Living Living with God, right? And so while we can look at this man and say, well, you know, it's great that I can walk. If I'm able to walk to the store out of here today. We have also emotional and spiritual issues that need healing as well. That's sin. You know, it affects every part of who we are. And so if God is interacting, I do believe he does, interacts with us in the same way that he interacts with this man, offering us healing and transformation, perhaps in ways we don't expect or maybe even want at the time, then we also have to be aware of how we respond to that question. If Messiah Yeshua is offering us transformation from the issues in our lives, Are we willing to accept it? Are we willing to not only accept it, but then cheerfully embrace it and then be willing to share it appropriately with other people? You know, we're going to see, we see here in this chapter how this man responds. In chapter 9, we're going to see a different sort of response. We have to figure out which way we land on these things. 
So again, how does this represent us about humanity? We also are like this man at the side of this pool. And we're desperate for other ways to heal ourselves, more complicated ways, when God himself is offering us real healing in a way that's actually way more simple than we probably expect. Through Yeshua. Humanity is crippled, lame, can't walk right, can't live right. People are desperate for healing, for self-help techniques, for this, for that, that are offered. It's so simple. You need Yeshua saying, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Something else that's very uh, common to all of us, he's making excuses. Sin does that to us. We're, we're making excuses for why this doesn't happen or why that doesn't happen. It's always somebody else's fault. I don't have anybody to put me in the water. It's always somebody else's fault. There's always some excuse. Um, and that's what sin does to us. This disabled... Ah, why did Yeshua tell this disabled man to pick up his sleeping mat and walk? Well, again, we don't have all the details, but presumably this guy is not rich. <laughs> he's crippled. He's lying there every day. He probably is depending on charity, tzedakah from others. Um, a sleeping mat was not just like a throwover blanket. A sleeping mat was something that had to be constructed, and it cost money, and it was valuable. So... He's been healed, but should he have to leave the only thing in the world he owns besides the clothes on his back? Should he have to forfeit that because it's the Sabbath? Shouldn't he be allowed to bring that mat home? It's an expensive thing. So Yeshua heals him, but he doesn't expect him to have to sacrifice the one thing that he's got, the one possession he has. Rabbi Journey, any thoughts to add? Just that, you know, this was done in front of a crowd. There were other people around when this, most like when this miracle took place. So it's a powerful symbol to have this man who they previously saw probably for many years here at this pool on this very mat. I mean, imagine him standing up, packing up that mat that he has laid on for so long and literally walking away. I mean, that's a powerful symbol of Messiah's power. The thought I will add is this man had been crippled, disabled for 38 years. Uh, he had been by this pool, maybe for an extended period of time, hoping to be healed. Yeshua does something. His, right, his life is now radically changed. He is to no longer hang out at that pool. Pick up your mat. Go. Get out of here. You're done here. Your life is completely different. Radical break with the past. Kind of like the woman leaving her water jar, you know, uh, at the well. Radical break with everything that's come before. And one last thing, Yeshua is showing his authority to define Sabbath keeping. We'll talk more about that, but he has the authority. He knows it's the Sabbath. Everybody knows it's Shabbat. And he's telling him to do something and everybody pretty much knows that the Pharisees don't approve of carrying 
any kind of load on the Sabbath. So he's actually contravening the tradition of, of the elders um, with knowledge. The disabled man was instantly, miraculously able to walk. He was able to once again live a normal life. I shouldn't say once again because we, we don't know if he ever lived a normal life. He was able to live a normal life, walk, work. He must have been so happy, I would think. He ought to have been so happy. But not everyone was happy about this fantastic healing of this individual. John lets us know, but this miracle happened on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know. The man did not know. For Yeshua had disappeared into the crowd. Wow. Rabbi Jerry, is there anything in the law, the Sinai Covenant, with its mitzvot, its commandments, that forbids people from carrying a sleeping mat on the Sabbath? Well, there is nothing specific about that. There are obviously commandments regarding working on the Sabbath. And so the Torah itself has nothing against this man carrying his burden. But as Rabbi Glenn alluded to, we've talked about this a little bit, the Pharisees not only try to keep the Torah, but they added to the Torah offenses, they would call it around it, so that in case you in case you're gonna violate the Torah, don't violate the Torah, you can, you know, don't even approach making a mistake by following these extra laws so you don't even get close to breaking it. The problem is, is they started to treat their laws almost the same as Torah, which is what we see here, where they come after this man very hard. And so according to certain Talmudic passages, there's like 39, we were talking about this, uh, 39 categories of work as the rabbis understood it. And this could have been in violation of those, uh, one of those 39 categories. So he violated Talmud, rabbinic teaching, but did not violate Torah, God's teaching. And there is a distinction between the two. Absolutely. People, when they are in trouble, will often shift the blame to others. And this man was in trouble with the leaders for breaking the Sabbath. I mean, that could be very uh, serious uh, penalty, breaking the Sabbath. The man went to the authorities and explained that he had been miraculously healed by another man. Did, actually, did he go to the authorities? I don't know if he went to the authorities or they went to him. Yeah, they went to him. So um, he explained that the reason he was carrying the mat was that he had been miraculously healed by someone else. And after he was healed, it was the man who healed him who told him to carry the mat. So if there was anyone to blame, it was not the man. It was the man who told him to carry the mat who had healed him. 
right? Not my fault. The guy who healed me, he told me I did it. He healed me. I did it. That's what I'm sticking with. It's so interesting that the man did not know the name of the person who healed him. What does this tell us about Yeshua? And what does this tell us about this man? Rabbi Glenn, let's start with you. Maybe I can do it in reverse. What does this tell us about the man? You're crippled for 38 years. Somebody speaks a word and you're made well. And you don't know his name. You don't like, who are you? Thank you. Can I, can I follow you? I want to go where you go. You, you've set me free. He doesn't even know his name. How long does it take to slip into a crowd? It doesn't take long, but I wouldn't have let him out of my sight. What does it tell us about this man? Honestly, I think Yeshua asked the question because I don't think he wanted to be made well. I don't think he wanted to have the responsibility of earning a living and being responsible. I think he had grown accustomed to people doing for him. In any case, what in, it shows to me a measure of ingratitude that he just lets him walk away. Just would you have, if that had been you, healed after such a long time? I would have grabbed hold of the hem of his garment and said, I want to follow you the rest of my life. I think any normal person would have been filled with gratitude, would know his name, would seek him out again and again and again. Not so, this guy. So it doesn't tell us good things about him. What does this tell us about Yeshua? Oh, I was thinking maybe you, no, I would no. give you guys the positive. No, you're, you're on a roll here. I'm on a roll. A Kaiser roll. All right. Um, it tells us of Yeshua's power. It tells us of Yeshua's humility. He wasn't looking for fanfare. He didn't say, hey, everybody gather around. Let me show you what I'm going to do here. You all know this guy. He's been sick for 38 years. Get up. You know, it wasn't like some sideshow or like certain <clears throat> ministers uh, wanting to uh, call attention to themselves. Yeshua performed the miracle and quietly walks away. It's not, he's not making it about him. Of course, it is about him. He's the Messiah. He has the authority over the very elements to speak a word, and nature conforms itself to his will. That's power. But he's humble about it and quiet about it. That's what it tells me. Rabbi Jerry, this man would have, was so happy, I would think. Uh, the Jewish leaders, no expression of happiness. In fact, the exact opposite. They, are, they seem to be angry, accusatory. Uh, you're breaking the Sabbath. How dare you? What does this tell us about these leaders? Well, you know, this man obviously just had this transformative experience. You know, he, he should have responded in probably in a different way. Again, later on, we're going to see people who respond differently to Messiah's miracles uh, as well. But these Jewish leaders, right, they're, they're supposed to be Torah teachers, right? They're, they're experts on Torah and the law. 
spend all day focused on the Lord, trying to hear from God, please God, offer him sacrifices, instructing others to do the right thing. You know, their hearts are supposed to be oriented that way. And yet, a bona fide miracle has taken place in their presence, and their first and really only concern is a Talmudic violation of carrying a burden. You know, it shows you that their eyes and their hearts really weren't in the right place either. Um, they're, you know, they're so focused on this tiny little detail, they've missed this huge miracle that has taken place in front of them. And so this tells us about the spiritual condition of the Jewish leadership at this time. They're indicative, I think, of the wider uh, groups, as we've seen also earlier on in John's Gospel, and we'll continue to see as things go on. And, you know, I, to, this is a part of it, but to go back to one of your previous questions, you know, how, what is this, how does this relate to us as well? How does this, what does this teach us about us? We have to be sure that we're not so focused on little tiny details of things that we're totally missing out on what God's doing in our midst. It doesn't mean we ignore God's law, but we need to make sure that we're not putting our law, our thoughts, our feelings, our interpretation of God's perfect principles above what God is actually doing in our midst right now. These were the leaders, the religious leaders of the chosen people. They should have known God best. They were fantastic when it came to the external things of religion, the outward forms, the outward laws, and yet they have no awareness of God in front of them. God healing a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. They're fantastic with religion and the trappings of religion and yet are so far from God. That is a danger for all of us. Most of us are really uh, committed. <laughs> and the danger for committed people is that we start looking more towards religion and the external forms and dotting the I's and crossing the T's, and we forget really the, the, the reality of, of God. And it is very easy to slip into this mindset of keeping all the particulars but missing the bigger principle. Um, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, I'm going to use a modern analogy. It's like the guy who's in the, in the left lane, the fast lane of the freeway, and they're going 55 or whatever the speed, and they are not, they're going to hold that lane, and they are, they're like a Pharisee. I am keeping the law, and if you don't like it, too bad, but I'm going to keep this lane to myself. And it becomes all about them. And I think there's a danger for all of us. there. John recorded a second encounter between Yeshua and this man in a different location, this time in the temple. Verse 14, but afterward... Yeshua found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. 
Notice again, Yeshua sought this man out, took the initiative to further interact with this man. And he warned him not to use his renewed health to sin or that God might allow something worse to happen to him. Worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Can sinning cause bad things to happen to us? Does sinning always and immediately cause bad things to happen to us, including sickness, illness? Rabbi Jerry. Well, first off, we want to make sure to point out here that this man's um, issues, his disability, does seem to have been caused by sin. It's not always the case. Again, in chapter 9, we're going to see something reversed. But I, to answer your first question, Rabbi and Lauren, can sinning cause bad things to happen to us? Absolutely. One of the reasons God's Word makes it very clear that one, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we suffer, one of the bigger reasons is because of our sinfulness. You know, if we go out and steal something, sin, there are going to be consequences with that when and if we get caught. You know, might go to jail, might have to pay money back. That's a more extreme. But basically, when we do things that violate God's word and his principles, there are consequences for that. There's the consequences that come from doing the right thing, blessing, and the consequences that come from doing the wrong things, punishment. Now, does that mean that instantly, every single time we sin, something terrible is going to happen to us? No. And that's also for many reasons. Part of it is God's mercy. But we do know that ultimately, if we do not have the redemption found in Messiah Yeshua, we will stand and have to give an account of our sinfulness. And if we don't have God's blessing that removes that sin, we will face an eternal punishment. So we might get away from it for a little while, but as the old Johnny Cash song goes, sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. You know, it's a great, it's a, it's a cover with spiritual. It goes, uh, you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Yeah, it was Odetta who recorded the original. Uh, Rabbi Glenn, anything to add or should we move on? Uh, just briefly, again, Yeshua finds him in the temple. Mm. Um, he didn't find Yeshua. He seemed indifferent to Yeshua. It seems like he... Uh, again, he ought to have been pursuing Yeshua. Even if, for argument's sake, Yeshua disappeared into the crowd, he ought to have been going, hey, hey, did you see this guy? He sort of looks like this. He's, right, because he healed me. He, he's not pursuing him. He's not interested. He seems thankless about the whole thing. No gratitude for it. Yeshua finds him. It's the first thing. Um, and when he tells him, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Uh, going along with what Rabbi Jerry was saying, we need to be careful not to reduce God to some kind of pocket-sized formula. You do this, this is going to happen. You don't do this, this won't. We've got to be careful not to think that we get God like we have him completely understood. He's unfathomable. He does things in mysterious ways. Um, I mean, when he says stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you, obviously something's not right with this guy probably beyond ingratitude, though that is a sin. Um, 
We don't know what it is. Was he going back to the Bethesda pool and continuing to beg? Uh, and there was no legitimate reason for him. What was it? We don't know, but what we're about to find out is he did not take the advice. Can this statement that Yeshua made to this man apply to us today? Stop sinning or something bad may happen to you. Will God allow believers who are sinning, backslidden, might he allow suffering, trouble, illness, something nasty to happen to them? I think the answer, I know the answer is yes. I mean, <laughs> some of you are sick, some of you are healed because you're not taking, you know, things seriously, not taking the Lord's Supper seriously, right? Things like that. So stop sinning or something bad may happen to you. And if it does, know that he's allowing it to happen, not because he's vindictive, but he doesn't want you to continue in sin. He'll allow you to hit rock bottom precisely because he loves you too much to let you continue in it. So... Um, Illness, suffering, sickness is not always caused by sin. That is also clear, but it can be caused by sin. So just to be sure, stop sitting. After the second encounter, the man knew the identity of the one who healed him. And then, what did he do? He ratted on him. He informed the authorities, he ratted him out, he became a snitch. Verse 15, then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Yeshua who had healed him. What a great way to thank somebody for healing you. I guess he didn't like his warning. <laughs> Most of the leaders had already rejected Yeshua's claim, you know, rejected Yeshua. They knew about him by this point. They don't like him. They have rejected him. Now, healing a man on the Sabbath and then telling him to carry a mat was according to their understanding of the Torah, and it was a wrong understanding. A wrong understanding. It was a violation of the command against working on the Sabbath. Violating the Sabbath and encouraging others like this man to violate the Sabbath gave them an opportunity to further oppose Yeshua, verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Yeshua, persecuting Yeshua for breaking the Sabbath rules, which is very serious in Judaism, right? Torah, I mean, that can be death penalty, breaking the Sabbath. These leaders are becoming, more, John is telling us that these leaders are becoming more and more determined to kill the young rabbi from Nazareth. The healing of this man on the Sabbath and the response of the leaders prepares us for the astounding claims that Yeshua will make about himself in his defense. I suggest that 
Each one of us reads and thinks about these astounding statements that the Son of God makes about himself um, in this chapter. So I want to encourage you to spend some time this week reading the rest of John 5, read it in a couple different translations, read it, read it slowly, read it thoughtfully, read it carefully, read it meditatively, meditate on it, roll it over, think about it. And Lord willing, we will discuss these astounding, amazing statements that the Son of God said about himself next Shabbat. Rabbi Jerry, Rabbi Glenn, thank you.